and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me today. Darcy, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. A little irritated. I just finished watching an Auburn game, and we played awful, so... Oh. Yeah, so could have been better. Room for improvement, but... Yeesh. I try and keep in mind that they're like 20-year-old kids, so I'm not trying to like let it ruin my weekend, but it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was saying earlier, like even the best of the team of teams, and maybe you don't think they're the best of teams. I don't know, but uh, play bad every once in a while. Yeah, we you, all have our days. <laughs> I mean, look, like it's high level football. It's SEC football. You know, they're before they played this game, they were ranked number fifteen. So, like, yes, they're all they are good. Like, I'm being hyperbolic when I say they're terrible, but like. Man, it's hard to watch when you just like see things and you're just like, no, like that was a stupid decision. Like that's the biggest thing. We're it feels like we're beating ourselves a lot of the time. But yeah, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing counts this year. It's COVID. So <laughs> yeah. Well, to the listeners, if I sound a little bit more echoey than usual, it's because I'm not recording downstairs. Like somebody's doing laundry down there, and I just didn't feel like. Going down to the basement, it's it cold. Last and... time, it sounded like somebody had like a shoe in the dryer. Last time we recorded, when somebody was using the laundry, yeah, it was so, so... loud. Yeah. <laughs> just like trying out different things yeah. to see what happens, and you know, if it's a little bit echoey, it is what it is. Um, we'll just have to provide good content to make sure go. we make up for it. Um, I have a really interesting story that I found that happened, I believe, last week, and this was like so freaky. But um, before I jump into the main topic, and it was from the Miami Herald, uh, the author Shakur Coop, and it's this woman wrote nine one one on her hand, and that was enough <gasps> to alert this. a locksmith to danger. Um, according to you, this is funny. This came out in the Miami Herald, but it's a Utah case, evidently. Yeah, I saw this. So an observant Utah locksmith is credited with saving a woman from a kidnapping, officials say. Um, They say the locksmith went to change the locks on this woman's front door in Midway, a city about 30 miles southeast of Salt Lake City. And this was, it actually happened on October 2nd. And as he was changing the lock, the woman showed her hand and it had 911 written across the skin. Mm. Um, A man in the house stayed suspiciously close to her during the visit, which, you know, why are they having a locksmith over there? And what? I don't know. Um, she said she asked him to turn over her phone. No, excuse me. She said that the man had asked her to turn over her phone when it was time to pay the bill. And that was kind of another little red flag, according to Locksmith, who said um, that she was showing the 911 again, making sure that he saw it on her phone and then made eye contact to basically let her know, hey, I saw mm-hmm. your 911 signal. I'm going to get you some help. He immediately called 911, of course, staying close to the home after he left. And when the police arrived, the woman opened the door and quickly left, telling them the man was downstairs. She told investigators that her ex-boyfriend was upset she was dating someone else. And he arrived at her home unexpectedly, assaulted her, took her phone, and refused to let her leave. And this man, um, Greg Eggerston, was charged with an aggravated kidnapping, criminal trespass, and assault. So being a locksmith, this guy obviously has been involved in some interesting domestic situations, mm. but he says he's never been involved in anything quite like this. Wow. Which, no doubt, right? Good for him for, for actually paying attention and calling and then staying near the house to you know make sure everything ended up okay. That's Yeah, right? Yeah. And then the other thing is, like, smart of her to figure out how she could mm-hmm. try to um, get herself some help as well without doing something violent or, you know, having it end up in a really, really bad way, right? Absolutely, yeah. I saw that. That was so scary. It's just, like, all the different ways that things can go wrong. It's just, like, it's just, it's so scary. (laughs) Well, and you never know when a situation like that is going to escalate into death or Mm -hmm. murder, Mm -hmm. especially in a domestic violence situation, because it is so very common these days for these sorts of incidences to happen to women. Mm-hmm. Um, ending up in a domestic violence type of situation and then being murdered. Right, absolutely. Especially by ex, ex-boyfriends or ex-husbands or ex-partners. It's, that's, like they say, like within the first, what is it, two weeks, I think, at the end, after the end of a relationship is the most dangerous time. Mm-hmm. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Absolutely horrific. And, you know, hers may have been a situation where she never expected that he would do something like that. Mm-hmm. And that happens many, many times where women just don't anticipate that violence is going to erupt. Right. 
And then they end up in the middle of a domestic violence sort of a situation, and it's it's horrifying. I can't even believe, you know, that she was smart enough and I with know. her stuff enough to get herself out of that situation. So it seemed seamlessly, although yeah. I'm sure a lot of thought and, and, you know, fearful moments went into getting her to where she was. But um, finding the, the locksmith, you know, mm-hmm. how did that whole situation play itself out? How did he allow her to call a locksmith? Was it the boyfriend calling a locksmith? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of wonder what the situation was behind the internal facts of that case as well. Right. Did you also see that um, a court has ordered a, a lower court to review Scott Peterson's conviction? What? Mm-hmm. The conviction itself? Yeah. Let me find this article. Pull that bad boy up. That's critical information. It was something about a jury. That's not related to the first case? The first time we talked about it? No, this just happened this week. California Supreme Court orders a re-examination of Scott Peterson's murder convictions. So this just happened. This article is from the 14th. So the California Supreme Court on Wednesday ordered a trial judge to consider whether Scott Peterson's convictions for murdering his wife, Lacey, and their unborn son should be overturned. So his death sentence was already overturned. In a separate petition, Peterson's lawyers cited an array of reasons the conviction should be overturned as well. And the court agreed that one matter warranted attention, a juror who failed to disclose that she had once feared for her unborn child when being harassed by the ex-girlfriend of her boyfriend. So during voir dire, she was asked if she had been a victim of domestic violence, and apparently she said no. And because she lied about that, his defense attorneys filed an appeal. So the court sent the case back to the San Mateo County Superior Court to determine whether Peterson should be granted a new trial based on the grounds that juror number seven committed prejudicial misconduct by not disclosing her prior involvement with other legal proceedings, including but not limited to being the victim of a crime. Wow. Yep. Well, that's an interesting turn of events. uh, Yeah. So, and the article, the original article I read, this is from the Los Angeles Times, but the original article I read was on people and it was, it was a reaction of Lacey's family and how they were getting moving forward with you know with their lives after Scott Peterson murdered their you know their sister their their daughter and and now you know this could possibly be completely turned Cost over the case yeah, yeah. wow yeah. mhm well i guess his attorney was right when he said this is just the beginning where you're going to get oh that's thing. right i forgot about that <laughs> part. Goes. yep interesting yeah i don't know if you folks want to hear more details about the scott peterson case (laughs) go back and listen to that episode i believe we released it like two years ago yeah and and obviously as things happen with this case it seems like it'll take a little bit for the court to review this petition but um obviously we'll keep you guys updated when news continues to come in i didn't think we'd still be talking about scott peterson right i thought this was like done like hello this he looked guilty af like come on it's a shame that a little technicality like that could potentially overturn a conviction i mean Mm -hmm. it's just crazy to me um and then it's probably gonna delayed even further because of covid right so maybe a year before we hear anything on this particular issue probably yeah yeah and so just wow. keep that in mind if you are being seated for a jury, you know, you are required to tell the truth. You're, you know, there is a risk of perjury there and it has major consequences. So, wow, no doubt. That's huge. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely huge. I think most people in this country know about Scott Peterson, who, mm-hmm. who he is and what he did. Um, wow. Yep. I wonder what uh, Amber Fry's take on all of it is. I don't know. I did see a thing, though, that Chris Watts' the girlfriend or the co-worker that he was having an affair with, she's petitioned to have her name changed. Oh, I would probably do that, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's probably universally hated just as much, even though uh, she claimed she didn't know. You know, she claimed she had nothing to do with it, but she did know he was married still, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think I he know. told her that they were separated. Yeah. 
but it's interesting. Right. But now she's um, in like all she's in the paper, you know, like the court documents and things like that. So she's hashed, she has petitioned for a legal name change. And I do feel some sympathy for her a little sure. bit just because, you know, he lied to her. Sure. Like, there's no way that he didn't lie to her. Mm-hmm. And we don't know exactly how much he lied to her and what he lied about, but we do know that he did lie to her. So yeah. interesting, interesting case. Yeah. Um, I'm going to jump in and talk about what we have for the day. All right. I'm not going to actually tell you about Ooh. this one. I'm okay. going to just kind of let it unfold for you because right. it's it's such a fascinating case. I've never heard anything like it. But April 15th, 1950, Marlene Warren arrived. Her parents, Shirley and Lennon McKinnon, lived in Macomb County, Michigan. Um, that's a beautiful area. It's... Mm, I think it's a little on the poorer side now, uh-huh. but her parents divorced not long after her mother remarried as well, and this was when Marlene was just a child. She had a lot of energy and had a lot of crazy antics growing up. She loved being outdoors, was very outgoing, and she was definitely a people person. But she had one little thing that she enjoyed that I think today, if we look at it, sounds a little bit kooky, but she really liked clowns. Nope. Ooh, nope. I don't like clowns. Yeah. So for some reason, as a youngster, she developed this affinity for clowns. And it was interesting because so many people today don't see these as delightful. (laughs) They see them as scary. Yeah. And I don't know what that is, if it's a media thing, if it's a horror movie thing that has come up in our generation. But I think... Everybody in our generation thinks clowns are creepy, including myself. Yeah, I can I can pinpoint it for me, but a lot of people think that it was like it, like the you know the when Stephen King's It first came out. Yeah, but a lot of I people think that was that's freaked it. out before, and I think mine was based on the John Wayne Gacy mm. stuff. See, that's he another was one. A clown. Yep. Yeah. Mine, I can take it back to. There was an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? That do you remember oh. that show? Oh. And they stole a clown's nose. Yeah. And Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That was also one for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess there's kind of this universal, like, anyone age, you know, 50 through, you know, 20, 15, whatever, in mm-hmm. our generation that just is mm-hmm. terrified of clowns because they've come out in the media as a scary thing. They've and portrayed them been, as a scary thing. It could have been the John Wayne Gacy thing that kind of tipped the media off to, like, or tipped, like, you know, like writers and, and producers and things off to like that. Oh, clowns can be scary. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But but yeah, I, I mean, it was definitely Pee Wee's Big Adventure and the episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark for me. Yeah. And there's something, too, as well, that's kind of ominous about somebody that is so thoroughly costumed and disguised that you mm-hmm. don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Their face is fully painted. They've got a, a fake nose on. They've got a wig on. They've got that big bulky costume. So you have no idea what they look like under yeah. it. And that comes into play later. Just stay with me on this. So Marlene really loved the clowns. Really had this thing for them. She painted them. She drew them. She was always interested in them. They made her happy and she sought them out. It was kind of her thing. Um, but as a teenager, Marlene actually got married. And she had two sons that arrived shortly thereafter, John and Joe. But her marriage, you know, surprise, surprise, fell apart in the early 70s when she was still very young and she became a single mother. Okay. And you said she was born in 1950? Yes. Okay. So she was very young when Mm -hmm. she became a mother and very young when she went through the divorce. So she ends up being, you know, 20 years old with two children. Mm -hmm. But she's a very devoted mother. She cares for her kids well, and she always puts them in first place, always they're her first priority. And when her kids were very young, and she was about 20 years old, as I mentioned earlier, she met a man named Mike Warren. And the two of them fell in love. Mike was a very hardworking guy, and he won the hearts of both Marlene and her kids. So she married him not long after that. He was a good father to her kids, Johnny and Joe, and as a family, they built an empire together. The both of them were very ambitious and hardworking, and they together began to buy up businesses, including car rentals and car sales. And their primary endeavor and their main money-making source was a car rental and sales agency that was focused on people with bad credit. Okay. So at the same time, Marlene worked managing their rental properties in West Palm Beach, Florida. 
So okay. the two of them moved in. I know this one. The two moved into the Florida area, into the Palm Beach area, and had sort of an affluent lifestyle. Marlene collected the rent, handled the tenant issues, took care of getting repairs fixed, and was basically the landlord for several rental properties that the two had together. They did so well that they were able to afford a big house, racehorses, and even an airplane. Oh. And they lived in an area called Wellington, which was a, they were right smack dab in the middle of Palm Beach County, Florida. So very affluent. Yes. They lived in a very prosperous area called the Arrow Club area. And this was an exclusive non-gated community, but it was connected to a private community owned airport with a landing strip. So it was all kind of focused around this airport um, in that area. And they had a plane, so that was convenient for them to be able yeah. to take off and come back to their home in a very quick manner. Um, Marlene was very friendly, and she fit into the neighborhood really well. She kind of was comfortable in both affluent areas and in some of the rental properties and not so affluent, affluent areas, but she was very friendly, and people liked her. She said hello to everyone and just sort of was known within the community. Well, Mike, on the other hand, not so much. He kind of came off as this more of a sleazy kind of used car salesman kind of a vibe. Mm -hmm. And that's what he was, right? Like he did rental cars and sales, used cars to to people with bad credit. So Mm -hmm. he had sort of a vibe. And I think we all know, you know, what that vibe is. Yep. But the Warrens seemed happy nonetheless, and they were prospering financially. So no one thought anything was going on or wrong with their marriage or anything like that. But in the fall of 1988, tragedy struck. And Marlene's 22-year-old son, Johnny, was killed in a car accident. Oh, no. Yeah. And, you know, as we all kind of are aware, when you have a terrible loss like this, it sort of impacts a marriage. Well, it very much Mm -hmm. impacts a marriage in in many cases. And it impacted uh, Marlene and Mike's marriage. But they still didn't end it. They tried to work with it, and they just were reluctant to part with ways. And, you know, there could be a whole variety of reasons behind that, including, you know, finances. And that was the case for these two. They kept trying to work at the marriage and stayed in it, despite the fact that, excuse me, that it was obvious to people on the outside that things weren't going so well between the two of them. They were spending less and less time together. And then Saturday, May 26th, 1990, it's the start of Memorial Day weekend in Florida. Everybody in the Warren house was getting ready for the weekend, and we all know what Memorial Day weekend is like. It's kind of Mm -hmm. a a cool time. The summer is really getting there into full swing. It is warm. Usually it's sunny. People are excited for, you know, what's going to happen on a three-day weekend. Usually there's alcohol and fun times and barbecuing Mm -hmm. and things of that nature, and it was no different in this situation. Marlene and her son Joe and some of Joe's friends were in the kitchen of the Warren house while Marlene was cooking them breakfast. So her son Joe had come home and she, you know, was happy to help take care of them. I guess he had broken his leg and so he had some sort of a cast on or his foot or his okay. leg, something of that nature. He had a cast on and so she was kind of doting on him a little bit and it was one of those situations like most moms, you know, they care for their kids and if they're mm-hmm. injured or hurt, they they want they baby him a little bit and that's kind of I think what she was doing that weekend. And the previous day, Mike had decided to go on a road trip with some of his own friends to a racetrack in Miami. So he was gone. He was out of, out of the way. And I think that was kind of good because his relationship with Marlene had, he'd been distancing himself kind of gradually. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of par for the course in their relationship that he did more things by himself or with his friends mm-hmm. without her. And she was okay with that. She was hanging out with Joe and they were talking about their plans for the weekend It was about 11 a.m. and the group was about to sit down and eat breakfast when Marlene glanced over and sees somebody approaching the front door. It's a clown. I know this one. Coming coming to the front door. Yeah. And she is excited because she loves clowns. She's like, holy cow, there's a clown coming out the drive. Look, the clown has flowers and balloons. And she's like, oh my gosh, you know. This is so exciting. You know, maybe it's a, they used to do these things. I don't know if you are aware of this, where they do kind of a, a, a song message or they'd have somebody, a delivery service come up and, and give you balloons and flowers. And it was more common, I think, back then. Yeah. This is 1990. I've 
It's part um, of it on like TV. I've never actually seen it like happen. Yeah, but, yeah. you can do like a, a song yeah. or, you know, they'll give, they'll deliver balloons and flowers or candy or something like that. And Marlene like sees this and immediately like her whole mood changes. She's like, this is awesome. I can't believe someone planned this surprise for mm-hmm. me. And my day is so bright now and I'm so excited. And she runs for the door. And she gets there and there waiting is this clown with a white painted face, a red nose, big shoes, the whole outfit, an orange wig. And this is just like her dream come true, right? And she says, oh, how pretty, as the clown hands her the flowers and some balloons. And she takes the gifts and the clown then takes out a gun and shoots Marlene in the head. Oh my right God. above her upper lip. Just right in the face. The group in the kitchen at first hears the sound and thinks it's a helium bo- one of the helium balloons popping. Oh, yeah. Because it was only one shot. And they're like, what? And they're in a different room of the house, and it was probably a larger house. And you can imagine maybe a backfire. Like, you don't automatically go to, this is a gunshot, right? Yeah, not in, like, West Palm Beach. That's yeah. not like something that you would expect. And they kind of, you know, if they glance out of the corner of their eye, they see, you know, the balloons and the flowers and all that kind of stuff and think, you know, what harm could this potentially be and the clown shot her and then took off and they didn't notice until they saw Marlene fall down that they knew something bad had happened in the meantime the clown turns around walks back to the the Chrysler LeBaron that's waiting nearby with the engine oh my god remember Chrysler LeBaron yes (laughs) There's a Chrysler LeBaron waiting door open engine running this clown hops into that car and takes off Joe, Marlene's son, runs after the clown and notices that the car was running and the door had been left open. So obviously this person had been planning this. But the only thing he could see before the clown drove off was dark brown eyes. Huh. So it's a clown. Yeah. You can't see what color the hair they have. You really can't tell a whole lot about it. The, the face is painted. They're wearing this crazy outfit. You can't, he couldn't even tell whether it was a man or a woman. And in the meantime, Joe's friends go to Marlene and see she'd been shot above her upper lip. And they immediately try to find the LeBaron. They jump in their car after they call 911. And they can't find any sign of the LeBaron. It's gone. Hmm. All the neighbors come running. The paramedics come. The police cordon off the scene. And Marlene is taken to the hospital still alive. Whoa. So this shot to her face directly did not immediately kill her. And I think about the case of Joey Buttafuoco with uh-huh. his wife, which is one that we need to cover on the show because that's yeah, such an we interesting do. case. She didn't die. And mm-hmm. so it, it kind of, I think they were hopeful and they'd start looking around and the police find that there was little to no evidence left at the crime scene. And it's too hard to identify this clown because they have a complete costume on. Mm-hmm. They don't even know whether it's a man or a woman. And this person didn't say anything. So they have nothing to go on. But nonetheless, the Palm Beach County Police put out a be on the lookout for a clown driving a white LeBaron. You know they were probably making jokes and like laughing their asses oh, about yeah. this though, right? Like a clown? Yeah. Really? A clown? The police finally reach Mike and he rushes to the hospital to be with Marlene. And a couple of days pass, and the doctors say that Marlene has a bullet lodged in her spinal cord, and they need to put her on life support, which is interesting, because she got shot in the face. Like, is Hmm. that, did it, was it low enough to where it hit, and maybe you can answer this in kind of a medical perspective, if you get shot in the upper lip, Mm -hmm. that's going to hit your spinal cord? I would think that would go into the back of your brain, or is it just where your spinal cord connects with your skull, or? Yeah, I mean... Right around, like, the opening of your mouth is kind of where, like, the brainstem leads into the spinal cord. So, like, maybe if the person was taller than her and shot downward, hmm. maybe. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a, that's a really, really high spinal cord injury. Like, I right? would be concerned that I'm surprised she didn't die if it was in the spinal cord at that, at such a high level. Yeah. Well, evidently the doctors put her chances of survival at very, very slim. And oh, she, okay. ended up, she ended up dying. Oh. On May, May 28th, 1990. Mm-hmm. It just was too much. And with an injury, as you just mentioned, that, mm-hmm. that would be very, very difficult to survive. And, and she indeed passed away. Yeah. And now the Palm Beach County had a murder case. Interestingly enough, though, like I mentioned earlier, the killer never said a single word while committing mm. this crime. 
And this was one of the strangest crimes they'd ever seen or heard of at the Palm Beach County Police. And it seemed very well planned because the car was running. Like, obviously, somebody had to have put some thought and consideration Mm -hmm. this to be able to plan it to the point where... You know, her husband wasn't home. They knew she was going to be the one answering the door. They planned it out because she liked clowns. Like, anybody else, if any of the other kids would have come to the door instead of her, it would have been a different situation. Right. It had to have been planned out, according to what the police could see. And almost immediately, an anonymous tip comes in saying that the police need to look into Mike Warren because he was having an affair with an employee. Surprise, surprise, right? Right. Usually that kind of stuff happens. And evidently he was having an affair with a woman named Sheila Keene. But we know, like, he was confirmed to be nowhere near the area when this thing happened. Okay. He wasn't anywhere near, which to me doesn't mean a whole lot. If he had helped plan and commission a crime, of course he's not going to be there. He's going to get somebody else to do it. Right. But police began wondering at that time if... This was a factor in the crime against Marlene, this affair Mm -hmm. that her husband was having. Because typically, you know, if you have a commission of a crime and they don't know who it is and the husband's having an affair. Right. Nine times out of ten, it's the husband trying to get rid of the wife so that he can be free to be with whoever this woman is. This was the first significant lead that the police had. And they immediately started looking into Sheila. This woman grew up in Florida in the Everglades near Lake Okeechobee. Which is a pretty cool area. Is it? I've never been. Yeah. I've never been that far south in Florida. Florida's awesome. Like, I love Florida. We go there every year, and we were there this last year. We drove near the Everglades. It's pretty cool. I mean, it can be a little bit rural in certain areas. Um, with a little, a little bit country, a little bit, you know, where yeah, like most of my experience in Florida is panhandle. And so like, that's just mostly, but my dad grew up in Tampa. So we spent a a little bit of time. We went there every year, uh, when, when his parents were still alive, but that's as far South as I've been in Florida. But you know, there's some really beautiful areas down there and there's a lot of newer vacation type communities. So they're, they're pumping a lot of money into those Mm. areas. And so there, there are some pockets of, nicer homes and nicer stores and things mm-hmm. like that. But I, I don't think she necessarily grew up in a, an extremely wealthy or nice neighborhood. She was very down to earth, kind of a tough girl, mm-hmm. attractive, but sort of a go-getter and real kind of aggressive as a person. She first got married in 1987, which obviously she was around the same age as Marlene. And okay. she started working as a repo person. Oh, for Mike that's Warren. a dangerous job, man. Well, this is kind of, you know, this woman's character, right? By knowing that she did this as a living because she excelled at it. She wow. was kind of a badass. Like she carried a gun for yeah, protection and she basically went out and pulled these cars in and determined that she was, they determined that she was the one taking back the cars from people who failed to make payments on time. Hmm. Which, again, like I said, she excelled at this and... She was doing well, even though her marriage to her first husband had ended in 1990. She started pursuing Mike Warren, even mm. though she knew he was married. Okay. So she was like, I'm going to go get her. I'm going to go get what I want. I want mm-hmm. this guy. I'm getting him. So you kind of get the sense that this woman is a little bit on the aggressive side, right? Yeah. So essentially, Mike and Sheila were caught having sex at the office. Oh, my. Yeah. And Sheila's Nobody neighbors. Nobody wants to see that. Oh, no. Yeah, right. That's very unprofessional. Not to mm-hmm. mention the fact that he's married. Hello. Um, mm-hmm. But the neighbors all thought Mike and Sheila were a couple since he was always seen at her house. Mm-hmm. So he was so often at Sheila's home that they basically were like, oh, this is Sheila's husband. Mm-hmm. And both denied the affair when they were questioned. You know, I never understand why people deny it. Like, if they're asking you, they probably already know the answer to begin with. And now you've already lied. And now you're caught in a lie, which just makes you look worse. Yeah. Well, I don't think either one of them were the brightest students in the class. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Right. He's a used car salesman and she's a repo person. So, I mean, they may be street smart, but maybe not so much the other stuff. And they, like I said, they deny the affair. And police question them. And they say they're just friends, even mm-hmm. though he's been paying rent on her apartment since her divorce. Oh, I pay all my rent, my friends' rent. Yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's just what good friends do. Right? Yeah. I just felt bad for her, and so I paid her rent. Yeah. 
Anyway, police collect her DNA and hair samples, and they ask for her whereabouts on the night of the or on the day of the crime. And she claimed she'd been repoing cars very far away when this whole thing went down. Which, All right. How can she prove that, right? I mean. Is there like a paper trail or something that they have to fill out when they go get a car or something? I don't know. I don't know. I would think there would be, but right. um, they can't verify her alibi. Mm. And at the same time, though, they don't have enough evidence to keep her in custody. So they have to let her go. Mm-hmm. They don't have any physical evidence that she was at the crime scene. Right. They didn't find, like, an orange wig or anything? No. Her alibi (laughs) sucks, but they don't have any evidence that they can conclusively use to prove and link her to this crime, so they got to let her go. Right. Police then start looking into the tenants that Marlene had dealt with, Mm -hmm. and they don't find any leads. Everyone liked her. Oh, okay. There was just, there was nothing bad anybody could say about her. No, like, bad tenants, no problems there? No problem children. And then they start looking into the repo business. Mm -hmm. Still no leads. Hmm. Even though that seems like it would be the most probable one because, you know, when you're repoing... A lot of angry people. Right? You're repoing a car. Got to be a a dangerous and kind of ugly situation at times, especially, you know, with people that live in more rural areas and carry guns, Mm -hmm. (laughs) rifles and guns and all kinds of other things. Then they started to explore the theory of a clown serial killer, which, (laughs) interesting, right? I guess two years earlier, there had been another similar incident with a clown who had shot and killed another wealthy woman. Oh. In the area? Um, Not super, super near, but it was in Florida. And it was close enough for them to think, okay, maybe there there might potentially be a serial killer involved. Yeah. But then they determined there were no connections, and they find the killer of this other crime, and he's convicted, and there's no connection. I guess the husband had hired a hitman. Jeez. And both the husband and the hitman went to prison. They, it was determined that neither one of them had anything to do with this particular case. Wow, okay. But in the meantime, though, evidence against Chila was starting to grow. So the murder weapon was a 38 357 caliper gun of the same type that Sheila carried for protection. Okay. Right? Seems legit. She's a mm-hmm. repo person. She carries a gun. Mm-hmm. But surprise, surprise, one month before the shooting, Sheila claims to have lost her gun. Oh, I hate right? that. Happens. How convenient. Yeah. And then employees of a costume shop come forward and say they saw this woman. They sold her a costume. That she came in as they were closing and begged them to keep the store open so she could get a clown costume. And she was acting super weird and shady. This was about two days before the murder. Hmm. And they were like, yeah, no, we have to go to the police with this. She paid cash. She was rushed and frantic, they said, and the clerks identified her in a photo lineup. So she, like, basically made herself super memorable buying this clown costume. Pretty much. She, she came yeah. in at closing. She was rushed. She was freaking out. She was yeah. begging them. Yeah. 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 Um, and then a local grocery store also identifies her, saying she'd come in and bought flowers and balloons prior to the hmm. shooting. Again, identify her from a lineup. She's super, like... Not great. Memorable. All that. Yep. And the police then find the LeBaron. This beautiful, Ooh. beautiful LeBaron. The Chrysler LeBaron. <laughs> I do remember those cars. They seemed like they were everywhere in the 90s. Uh-huh. That they found one parked in a grocery store parking lot eight miles from the scene of the shooting at Marlene's house. And believe it or not, they find orange wig hair and strands of long brown hair. Oh. That could potentially be Sheila's. All right. Dun, dun, dun. However, the VIN number matches one reported stolen one month prior, before Marlene was murdered. Stolen? Uh, yeah. So, Payless Auto Rental was one of Mike's biggest competitors. And a couple had rented a car from them, and they were confused at drop-off, because it turns out... Mike Warren had intentionally placed ads to his competitor's business telling them, you know, where to return cars and things like that. And this couple returned the Chrysler LeBaron to Bargain Motors instead of the competitor. And Bargain Motors was Mike's business. What? So, yeah. Isn't that weird? So basically, That's he had, shady there was some kind of ad hell. that he run that confused people. So they returned the car from this other car rental place to his agency. And then he just tells the employee, well, tell him to leave the keys under the visor and leave it out on the curb. 
Like, we don't care about it. Oh, my gosh. And so the car is stolen. Wow. Right. But who would know that the keys were under the visor? Yeah. Like, I mean, come on. The thief of the car was never caught, but it was suspected that Mike had something to do with it. But they just couldn't Mm -hmm. prove it. It just seemed like he lined this up way too well. Yeah. But they, in the meantime, they get a warrant to search Sheila's apartment. And they find orange wig fibers there, too. Hmm. No clown costume, no wig or anything, but they do find orange wig fibers. And they, at that time, they do DNA tests of her hair, as well as the fake hairs. And want to guess how they came back? The results? I'm going to say it was a match. Um, no. Inconclusive. What? Oh, okay. Inconclusive. Okay. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But they didn't put much stock in the testing process because this was the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And we all know that back then, DNA and hair fiber and all that kind of stuff was not as well refined as it is now. Right. It was eh, a little on the sketchy side back then. And I think a lot of police departments really, number one, didn't know how to process and deal with those sorts of things. And number mm-hmm. two, didn't really know how to interpret results. And number three... Didn't know how to collect, and so there were often issues with inconsistencies and finding out that the tests were inconclusive was not uncommon right. in that era. right? But by 1991, the police believed that there was enough circumstantial evidence to make an arrest. And again, circumstantial is not direct evidence. They cannot mm-hmm. directly put her at the crime. It's all kinds of extraneous factors out there in the distance that link her, but not directly to the crime. So mm-hmm. in order to arrest someone and convict them, you have to have either enough circumstantial evidence to make up for this fact, or you have to have direct evidence. Right. So although the police believe they have enough evidence to make this arrest, the state's attorney doesn't agree. And they yeah. say, because there's no physical evidence, this crime, prosecuting this crime is going to be a crapshoot, and we don't want to mm-hmm. do it. So they refuse to take the case. And that makes sense. I mean, you get one crack at it. So. Exactly. One bite at that apple, and yeah. you're done. So they don't want to waste it if it's only circumstantial evidence. Mm-hmm. They want to wait for the police to get something more substantial mm-hmm. before they move forward with the case. So the case goes cold, which I think, again, was common in that time. If you didn't have enough evidence to take it to trial, a lot of these cases went cold. Right. And there were absolutely no links for Mike to the crime either. There were, there were circumstantial links for Sheila, but there were absolutely no links for Mike to this crime, either sub- direct or circumstantial. So police then kind of put this on the back burner for a while and... As they're doing that, they've got, you know, one or two officers that are still kind of looking into it on the side, and they start digging into Mike's life, Mike Warren, and mm-hmm. discover he'd been running a chop shop. How shocking. Right. Out of his car <laughs> rental and sales company, he'd been basically taking these cars, stealing cars, breaking cars down, selling them, selling parts. Surprise, surprise. He'd also been turning back odometers and filing false insurance claims. God, he'd, what a skeezy... Yeah person he'd dump cars to get rid of evidence he'd burn cars he'd put cars in the canal like he did all kinds of things to get rid of the cars and then was filing insurance claims to make money off of it which again i think that during this period in time that was not uncommon and it was very easy to do like i actually knew friends well not Mm -hmm. multiple friends but i knew at least one person who'd done that with her car like yeah had it had it stolen and burned and filed an insurance claim Right, but, like, to do so many things and to do it consistently. Like, this is a pattern of behavior. This is, this is basically right. his business model. Like, yes. Yeah. Very dishonest. But investigators found enough evidence um, to charge Mike Warren for 66 crimes. Whoa. Yeah. 66 counts of all kinds of stuff. And he was found guilty of 43 of those. Um, for racketeering, rolling back odometers, etc., and he gets a nine-year prison sentence. Nine years so, for forty-three convictions. Yeah, yeah. Wow, of racketeering, and I guess they figure, you know, they they know he's involved in the death of his wife, and they're mm-hmm. like, it's better to get him in there on something than That's nothing true, at all. Yeah. And he actually only served four years of that sentence, and then was released. Ugh. Still no charges for Marlene's case and no solid leads, no direct evidence on that case. 
And Sheila eventually moves away. And then it pops up in 2002 that her and Mike got married in Vegas. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So their relationship withstood all of that, huh? Yep. So they Good were for them. Super, Couldn't be happier. Yeah. They were super <laughs> under the radar for a long period of time. And then they pop up as married in 2002. Wow. So this is like 12 years later, right? Mm-hmm. And many people thought that it meant they were both involved in Marlene's death. And I don't yeah. think they would be incorrect in assuming that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's easy to see how you get that get there. Yeah. But it was 12 years exactly after his wife's death that the newlyweds moved to Virginia to start a new job, a new life, new everything. Mm. They just wanted to get away. They wanted, you know, let's start all over again. They opened up a fast food burger joint, and it did really well. People really liked it, and they ended up doing so well that they bought a 4,100-square-foot home in a very ritzy area, which, how do you do that from a fast food restaurant? I mean, there's got to be some more illegal stuff going on. Don't you think? I mean, do you really walk away from that sort of a lifestyle that you've done for so long and all of a sudden you're completely clean? I can't imagine that you do. There's got to be some kind of laundering of something in there, right? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little suspicious. But they have this lakefront home, private dock, mm-hmm. a boat. Like, they're just a 4,100-square-foot home. And granted, it's a little bit cheaper in that area, but still... Right. Like you do that from just owning us. And how did they get the money to buy a fast food restaurant? Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't know anything about money. I don't know anything about business, but it seems like one fast food restaurant isn't enough to like make you a multimillionaire. Yeah. It just seems a little sketchy to me, but right. maybe that's just my suspicious true crime I, mind working overtime. Sure. Right? Um, but the two seemed very hardworking and social and they were good helpers and they greeted everyone and they were well known within the communities being very friendly and, and gregarious and outgoing and just really a nice couple. So he completely changed his personality yes. too with this move. And they never told anyone about previous marriages or having lived in Florida. Hmm. No one even knew Sheila's real name. She called herself Debbie now. Oh. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. Right. So by 2013... Mike and Sheila, a.k.a. Debbie, seem super happy. And these two are just like the, the picture of a happily married couple. Mm-hmm. But the Palm Beach County Police Department starts a task force and reopens Marlene's case. They're Ooh. not letting it go. And now they reach out to the FBI for new DNA tests based on the more advanced technology that they have now. Okay. They hope that the evidence will be better now to link Sheila and Mike to Marlene's death. And they begin to re-interview witnesses and they collect new DNA for the case. They give all this to the grand jury, August 2017. And an indictment, they hand down an indictment soon after for Sheila in the murder of Marlene Warren. No surprise here, but the hair actually matches Sheila's that they found and did the new DNA testing on. Okay. And this allows them to be able to prosecute the case. Mm -hmm. the connection of the DNA with the hair. Mm -hmm. The hair that they collected for this crime, they linked it to Sheila, and it was all over. They decided they were going to do this. As it turns out, the crime scene investigators did a great job of preserving crime scene evidence the first time around. They just didn't know how to process it back then, Mm -hmm. as I kind of mentioned earlier. So the police then arrest Sheila September 26, 2017. So this is like she... This crime was... This crime happened in 1990. God, almost 30 years ago. Right? So 27 years after Marlene's murder, they arrest this woman. And evidently, when they arrested her, she had a very nonchalant attitude. She was all smiles. Just very brazen, they said. Like, didn't Mm. act, you know, I'm going to be out of here soon. This is all, you know, fake. You know, somebody tried to set me up. I didn't do anything. I'm innocent, which, you know, no Mm -hmm. surprise there, right? She is extradited to Palm Beach County after they charge her with first-degree murder October 3rd, 2017. And she waives her right to a speedy trial, and she pleads not guilty to first-degree murder charges. So initially, the trial was scheduled for January 2020, which this year. Right, wow. Right. And then they pushed it to May, and then it got pushed back again, and it's now scheduled for April 2021. So she still has not gone to trial for this? No, she's still sitting wow. in jail waiting. Um, and this is, the trial's not coming till next year. All of this was because of the coronavirus, which is crazy to me, right? Yeah. Prosecutors want the death penalty. 
Ooh. Yeah, it's a doozy. So this one is interesting. So she has been in custody since 2017 and has not had a trial yet. But she waived her right to a speedy trial. That seems ill-advised. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I wonder if she's using that, going to use that as grounds for my turn. I had a crappy representation. Right. I'm going to appeal this, blah, blah, blah. I can already see it coming. But then again, how can you really control the coronavirus thing, like a national pandemic or worldwide yeah. pandemic breaking out? You can't really control that. So, like, I don't necessarily think she would have grounds in that sort of an instance mm-hmm. to appeal, but who knows? Nonetheless, Mike Warren has never been charged with anything related to his first wife's murder. None. So, Zip, zilch. Do they have any idea what they think the motive is? Well, here we go. I'm going to oh, okay. talk about that. Oh. Funny, you should mention that. Hey, look at that. In this case, there are over 200 pages of evidence that have been revealed since Sheila's arrest. These include testimony of retail clerks, hair evidence, as well as jailhouse letters to Mike. Sheila continues to claim that she is innocent. And Mike continues to stand by her, saying he knows she had nothing to do with Marlene's murder. So what? these two are still together, evidently, as of today. However, witnesses have since come forward claiming that Sheila told them that she had dressed like a clown and killed her rival for Mike's attention after too much booze. So she got drunk and spilled the beans. Some witnesses are saying this. Witnesses also came forward saying that Sheila had told them that she wanted to get together sooner with Mike, but she and Mike had to wait for media and police attention to die down. Wow. And again, these are all like hearsay because it's basically mm-hmm. somebody coming forward and saying, she said this. There's no, you know, the police can't necessarily prove that she said this. But in totality, right. when you've got 50 people coming forward and saying, I heard her say the same thing, it makes it much more believable. And in addition right. to the other evidence that they've collected, it makes it more likely that they're going to add some weight to that. But they also mm-hmm. found lots of pictures of Sheila in clown costumes through the years. Uh, this was a hobby, according to people who knew what? her. Yeah. So her defense team, though, says everything that they've collected is 100% circumstantial. There are no direct links. They cannot prove that Sheila did this, even though she liked to dress like a clown and <laughs> all this other craziness. So this Mike Warren guy has a type, and it is women he likes who clown like clowns. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. Right. But detectives have kept trying to link Mike to this crime, and they have had no luck so far. This is still ongoing, though, and they're still open to discovering evidence against Mike. Police have seen Mike distance himself from the family prior to Marlene's death, and so that was the first kind of red flag. And then two weeks prior, Mm -hmm. Marlene said something to family members, and they suspect that she knew, that Marlene knew Mike was having an affair she might not have known mm-hmm. that it was Sheila, but she knew he was having an affair. And the family firmly believes that Mike was involved in Marlene's death. Prior yep. to Marlene being shot, she'd expressed concern to family members that most of the couple's assets were in her name. Interestingly Whoa. enough, right? She was concerned about what Mike would do if she asked for a divorce and told specific family members that if anything happens to me, Mike did it. I'm also curious about Mike's background now. Yeah. If he, it seems like he may have been a little insistent on putting things in her name. Yep. Or they felt like that would be a better business move. Back That's in the day. So I guess they said that financial, for financial reasons, Mike didn't want to split the assets. Um, and he put all of them in her name for tax purposes, which that doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense to me. But that's I, I don't know enough happened. about tax things, business things to even come close to figuring that one out. Well, nonetheless, employees of Mike also came forward and said Mike mentioned on multiple occasions that he did not want a divorce and that Marlene was better off dead because he was not wow. going to split the assets. That's probably why he isn't divorced Sheila slash Debbie, too, because then they'll turn against each other. Right. Um, but then Marlene also has a seven-figure insurance policy prior to her oh. death. Wow, right? Yep. And it's starting to make sense now. Yeah. Essentially, after Marlene's death, he took Marlene's son Joe to court over the estate, leaving the son Joe with almost nothing. Like he was like, "This what is all. Jerk. This is all mine. You don't get any of it." Later days. 
So mm. again, all of this just adds to the level of suspicion in this guy's mm. background. Yeah. And then about a year after the murder, an attorney comes forward claiming Mike had asked about the death of his wife and what would happen if he was an accessory to the murder. Can Okay, so I guess like you don't if if that if if you're not the lawyer's client, you're you're not granted attorney client privilege. Right. And okay. he hadn't been this guy's attorney. He hadn't been Mike's attorney. Okay. He mentioned that Mike had come and asked him this question. Okay. Not that he had been hired to be a criminal defense attorney or anything of that nature, yeah. but that Mike had come and asked him what would happen. Not if he was directly, but if he was an accessory, like what mm. the implications were. Mm-hmm. So again, it's just adding this on a list of big red flags against him. And then another witness comes forward saying he'd worked with Mike and Mike had confessed how much he hated Marlene and wished she was dead. That's never a good thing to say about anyone in general, but especially right before somebody doesn't end up actually right. dead. Yeah. And then surprise, surprise, another witness claims he helped get rid of a car for Mike that contained evidence linking him to, Mar- to Marlene's murder. Ooh. They say that this guy had dumped a car in a canal for the insurance scam that he was running continuously. And this supposedly had been a second getaway car after LeBaron. And it had the clothes and everything in it and evidence of the crime, the murder weapon, etc. So they left the LeBaron at this grocery store where yes. it was found and, and then they, they another, took another car. Yeah. And then that's where oh, the wow. clothes and the murder weapon and all that was. The, wow. the police immediately look into this, of course, because, you know, that would be huge. And they mm-hmm. start to search the canal systems and they do find a car that they think is the right car, but the contents weren't there that they thought were going to be there. Okay. So no clown costume, no murder weapon. And the witness says that this was probably the wrong car they pulled up. Because the car was already in the canal, and there's a lot of cars in this place, sure. evidently. Because, you know, it's a, it's a popular spot to drop things off. But he firmly believes that he they just pulled the wrong car up from the canal. Hmm. The case is still being investigated currently to find connections for Mike. And the family is relieved that Sheila is being brought to justice, but they know that Mike is involved and they hope he is brought to justice too. Meanwhile, the son Joe, who witnessed his mother's murder, has struggled with drugs and alcohol, which I think is not uncommon, mm. especially if you witnessed your mother. He basically witnessed mm-hmm. his mother being killed. Um, yeah. And then he had a failed marriage as well. He was very severely impacted, he says, but he has since gotten his life back together and is now using some of the skills that his mom, Marlene, taught him about rental properties. And he is doing very well at the moment, but he still remembers his mother fondly and hopes that her killer can be brought to justice. I think he is kind of conflicted when it comes to whether Mike was involved or not, because Mike was his stepdad. He cared for him and loved right. him and things like that when when Mike, when uh, the son was growing up. So I think he's kind of conflicted on whether he believes Mike is involved in this or not. But I, I do, it, it, it sounds more and more like there was involvement from the husband and that mm-hmm. it, this was planned out very carefully. I just don't think this is a spur of the moment. Let's throw this together on the weekend and go kill her kind of a thing. I think this had to have been talked about for a while. Yeah, I mean, bare men's, it seems like this is something that Mike brought up more than one occasion to Sheila, and she took it into her own hands. Like, bare minimum, yeah. that's the case, you know? But it sounds more like he was involved in the planning of this and all yeah. of that stuff. I mean, it was nearly the commission of a perfect crime. Right. Right. You put yourself mm-hmm. in a situation where you're hiding your identity so well that there's you didn't even know whether it's a man or a woman. You know, if mm-hmm. she would have been just maybe perhaps a little bit more careful with her preparations, then there would have been no one would have remembered her. Yeah. Wow. Uh, clown case, right? Man, do you remember? It's probably been like maybe four or five years ago now when like there were like all those random clown sightings. Just in the middle of right? nowhere, people would like see clowns. That was so scary, and I just, like on the like, edge of the forest, and like just in, uh-huh. and just standing there, not doing anything. Just can you imagine, there. like, just being the person that planned that? No, that, that was like, I'm gonna just do this. I'm gonna freak people out. No, no, I cannot. It's Don't do like that. the people <laughs> now that dress up as like the old doctors' costumes with the masks. Like the beak masks, and they put on. There's been people in, in oh. England that have also been spotted out and about dressed like the old-timey doctors like the plague yeah. masks yeah 
Oh. You know what's creepy is I saw somebody the other day. I gave plasma, and there was somebody wearing one of those masks in the plasma center. A, a donor. Uh-uh. Isn't that weird? Yes. They're selling like crazy now, I guess. There's a couple of different manufacturers that are making them. They're just hella creepy. Like, we'll post a picture yeah. in the show notes of what those masks look like, but they're super creepy. They are. They're super creepy. But... Ew, I, I've not seen that in person, and I'm really glad that I haven't. Yeah. I'd probably freak out. But I looked at pictures for this case, too, and Marlene just looks so sweet and cute and just, like, she looks like a cheerleader type, just, for, like, outgoing yeah. and friendly and sweet and pretty. And then, you know, this Sheila person, she just looks nondescript, this long kind of plain brown hair and older gal in her 50s. Like, she doesn't look anything mm-hmm. like you would suspect. And then pictures mm-hmm. of Mike, he just looks... I don't know why anybody would want to be with him. He just doesn't look like a very attractive fellow. But then again. Well, and from the story, it's not like he sounds that great yeah. either. And then again, maybe Sheila was into the whole used car salesman vibe. Well, and it does sound like they had some money, too. Yeah. Which. Maybe that was a big draw. From what, though? You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like this right. guy is shady from start to finish in yep. his business dealings and everything else. Weird case. Yep. Strange case. I, I think I heard it initially there's a lot of articles out there surprisingly about this case because it it Mm -hmm. was a recent thing right i mean Mm -hmm. this is a couple years ago they found this woman and there's not too many cases where they catch the killer and it's a woman no less and they catch her like 30 years later and bring the trial bring it to trial bring it to justice and things like that so it stood out to me as being unique because it was a woman female killer and second Mm -hmm. she was dressed as a clown which you don't find very often i think there's i think there's another one out there somewhere a clown case similar to this one. And then obviously there was, in this case, they mentioned another case where a clown came and killed a woman, but that was a hitman. Yeah. So they're out there. That's crazy. Those cases are out there, but they're very bizarre. And I kind of wanted to talk about it in honor of the Halloween-y month. Yeah. I remember hearing about that when they made the arrest but but I didn't remember, I remember it being like a cold case, but I didn't remember it being all the way back in 1990 when it happened. I just, but I remembered it like was recently solved. And then there was some podcast that did like an entire season on just that crime. I forget the name of it. Entire season? um, Was this mm -hmm. before she was captured? It was just after she was arrested. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'll I'll look at the name of it. I heard it originally from like Minds of Madness or something like that. Another podcast. Yeah. There was some podcast that's like they every year they do every season they do like it's all Florida stories. Yeah. And it was it's like Florida true crime something something or other. And that's that's where I heard it. But yeah, it's oof. No thanks. Super interesting. If I see a clown at my door, like feel free to drop every drop whatever it is you're off you're leaving put it out the front door and then step away and then i'll come get it because yeah. i'm not turning it to the door for a client yeah but you know they plan it seems like they planned that out pretty well and and did a pretty okay yeah. job getting away with it so i'm not trying to yeah. give anyone any suggestions or anything like that but <laughs> certainly um an interesting crime and i'm glad that marlene's family is getting justice and we will keep mm-hmm. you guys posted once we hear updates on this we'll bring right. we'll bring some live updates to you guys from what's going yeah. on currently as well as from the I hope they scott can. peterson stuff right it just right yeah i was gonna say i hope they can find a connection either fi- just find a definitive answer to whether or not the husband was involved either he was or he right. wasn't they're still looking you know? so hopefully they'll find something yeah. but it's weird we've got a lot of big stuff coming up this year you've got the scott peterson retrial stuff you've got mm-hmm. elizabeth the theranos elizabeth holmes her mm-hmm. stuff has come up you've got Lori vallow coming up you've got this coming up i mean there's a lot of big criminal cases yep. coming up in this upcoming year yeah. It's going to be some juicy um, updates. Let's wrap the podcast up unless you have anything else you want to add. Yep. I don't. Don't dress up as the clown. That's that's creepy. Dude, it suddenly got all dark and spooky out. It Ooh. was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> <laughs> that's always what I say when it gets cold and dark here. We're starting to nice. bust into the winter months here. It's I saw yeah. snow in the forecast last week. It ended up going away Ooh. and we never got any, but it's getting chilly out. Yeah, it's t- it, it ended up being about 75 here, but this morning it was like in the 40s when I went and walked my dog this morning. Yeah. It was great. I loved Winter's it. Winter's coming. Yep. Be prepared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the point in the podcast where we say so long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our little podcast. We don't make money off this, folks. We do this for the love of the genre. Right, Dars? Yeah. 
we just like getting together and talking to each other and we ended up deciding to record it one day <laughs> so that's how we that's basically how we started this. if we start to make money someday great we yeah. look forward to that but for now you know your rating reviewing and subscribing is not necessarily making us dollars but it's helping us to be found by more people who may be interested in learning more about these cases and this true crime genre in general if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please shoot us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We do have social media. Darcy, what's the handles on those? Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and Instagram, and we post new episodes and notes and pictures and all that good stuff there too. Awesome. We will post some pictures on this case as well as I promised we would post some on, what was the other one? Scott Peterson? Oh, the masks. I post. I promised we'd post oh, some on the, oh, the, the scary weird, masks. scary yeah. doctor masks from medieval times uh, or around then. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.